you have your Bibles with you, could you turn to Acts 12, 19, the end of 19, to 24. So we're carrying on through the book of Acts for those who are visiting, those that's your first time, that's where we've been. So Acts 12, 19. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on their king's country, on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. I don't know if any of you have seen horrible histories. Do you know horrible histories? Any of you younger people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you don't know what Horrible Histories is, it's a, it's a book series, it's a TV show, it's now a film as well. And it basically, it's for children, and it tells history through all the sort of disgusting bits, but the stuff kids love, you know, all the blood and guts and the, and the poo and the things people ate and the, and the battles and all of that sort of stuff. Really good. Me and Bex love watching it. This is not with Heidi. This is, we like watching it. It's really, really good. We both love history, and it's, it's really good. But the reason I mention it is because this is a little bit, this passage, it could have been taken right out of horrible histories. If you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. Herod, this evil king, eaten by worms, and he dies. And you can see in horrible histories, you know, this could be there. It could have been taken straight off the page. And it's not the only story in the Bible like this. So in Judges 3.12, it's going to go disgusting for a minute, and I'll explain why. In Judges 3.12, there's a story... Of a, of a king who he's having a battle with Deborah, the judge, and he runs away, he escapes the battle, he goes into a tent and falls asleep, and there's a lady in the tent called Jael. Do you know this story? She gets a tent peg when he's asleep and hammers the tent peg into this guy's head and kills him. Now, I love this kind of stuff because it's just that sort of horrible history, sort of disgusting stuff. I just think it's, uh, it's really interesting. You can think I'm a bit weird and you can address me after if you want. But, uh, but the reason I mention this as we come into the passage is because there's quite a lot of this in the Bible. And it, it's actually quite often, in all seriousness, a reason why both skeptics and some Christians just reject bits of the Bible, maybe even all of the Bible, because they say, but it's got this in it. It's got this horrible story. It's got murder. It's got people you know, killing each other all over the place. It's got all kinds of horrible things going on. And so they say, I don't like that, so I'm going to reject the Bible. And I was having a discussion just the other day with a more sort of progressive Christian who was saying that they didn't believe the Bible was fully the word of God because of this kind of stuff. I also once heard a story of a Muslim guy. He'd been a Christian. He'd read the story of Noah in the Bible and in the Quran. Now, what does Noah do in the Bible at the end of the story? He gets drunk. And in the Quran, he doesn't get drunk. In the Quran, he's a perfect, 
holy prophet. And so he rejected Christianity. He was a professing Christian. He rejected Christianity and he faced Islam instead because the prophets seemed more holy. But I think part of the problem is, and I say this as we come deeper into the passage, part of the problem is the way we read the Bible. So as we look at the passage there, I want us to have, just have this at the back of our minds, that we read the Bible as lots of stories with lots of heroes. So Moses is a hero, and Abraham's a hero, and Joseph's a hero, and David's a hero, and so on. But the Bible isn't lots of stories with lots of heroes. It's one story with one hero, Jesus. And everybody else in the story is kind of, some are better than others, but they're all kind of villains, really. So I want us to understand that as we look at Herod, at the things he did, um, and the way God dealt with Herod. Let's just remember that this is a story about God judging in righteousness. There's a lot about judgment in this today, and I know some of us don't like the idea of God being a judge, but as a good, loving God, he has to judge the things that are bad, doesn't he? Because he's not loving if he doesn't take out the things that are bad. So who was Herod? This King Herod that's been eaten by worms at the end, by the end of the story. So Keith said some stuff last week about him being the grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was also not a very nice man because he killed loads of babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. But what wasn't mentioned is that Herod also knew a man called Caligula who became Roman Emperor. If you've heard of Caligula. So Herod ended up in the Roman court at some point in his life. He had a great education and he knew the the guy that would become the Emperor of Rome. And he also was outwardly quite a religious man. He actually wasn't, as you'll see, a very good man. But outwardly he was religious. He would give money to the temple. He was friends with the high priest. So Herod was a wicked man. But he was a man with a good education, a private education, friends in all the right places, religious friends, non-religious friends. You know, he, 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 was, he was a man of influence and power and money. Could have been written today, this, couldn't it? <laughs> it's interesting. The Bible's always true, isn't it? It's true of every nation, every time. This could have been written right now, today. Less about that. <laughs> so, so Herod was a powerful and influential man. But he wasn't impressive to God. His power and influence was not impressive to God. See, the point of this whole thing as we go through this whole passage is that nobody can mess with God. Nobody's power or influence or money or leadership of any nation or any church or any, anything at all is impressive to God. And if you stand up to God, God will deal with you. That's quite scary, isn't it? Now, we're thankfully in Christ, aren't we, if we're believers today? He loves us. He shows grace to us and mercy. He's not a God to be messed with. So with all his power and authority, God still dealt with Herod. So what did Herod do? Let's just have a look 
at the things that Herod had done? Why was it that he brought God's anger against himself? Maybe we can learn a little bit about how we can and can't live and how we look at nations around us and our own nation. Firstly, he persecuted God's people. So a lot of this was in the passage Keith preached on last week, carrying on from that. He'd had James, the brother of John, one of the disciples, killed. He'd had Peter thrown in prison. And he was overseeing this persecution with the, with the, uh, the temple, with the religious leaders, with the Roman Empire, this persecution of Christians. Now, it's a myth that Christians were always persecuted in the early church. There was periods of persecution and periods of peace. But at this point, they were being persecuted. And he takes seriously, God takes seriously, the persecution of his people. Do you remember when Saul's riding on his donkey to go to um, Damascus? He's riding on his donkey to find Christians to kill them. So phone him in prison. And he gets knocked off his donkey. This is a bit earlier, near the beginning of Acts. He gets knocked off his donkey. And he says, and the voice speaks to him and he says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Christians. God identifies persecution with his, of his people with an attack on himself. Let me just share some statistics with you. Know, actually, I'll read this quote first. Have you heard of Open Doors? A charity that works with persecuted Christians all over the world today. China, North Korea, in parts of India, Christians are being persecuted. Let me read this. I've had some technology problems, so I'm using my phone, which isn't ideal. So this is on the Open Doors US website. A woman in India watches as her sister is dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't know if her sister's alive or dead. A man in a North Korean prison camp is shaken awake after being beaten unconscious. The beatings begin again. A woman in Nigeria runs for her life. She's escaped from Boko Haram, who kidnapped her. She's pregnant, and when she returns home, her community will reject her and her baby. A group of children are laughing and talking as they come down from their church's sanctuary after eating together. Instantly, many of them are killed by a bomb blast. It's Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. And then it says, after that on this website, it says, all these people were Christians. And the only reason these things happen to them is because they're Christians. Not because of anything else they've done. They simply are Christians. That you and me, they're the person sitting next to you, being put in prison. And there are places in the world where Christians come to church and the person sitting next to them last week isn't there this week because they're dead or they're in prison. And then it gives some statistics. I won't share them all, but over 240, 245 million Christians are living in places where there's high levels of persecution. This was last year. 1,847 churches and other church buildings have been attacked. 4,305 Christians killed for their faith in the last year all over the world. And that's what Herod was doing. And God takes that seriously. 
Pray for persecuted Christians. Pray for those who persecute them because as you'll see with Herod, God took it seriously. Herod stood against God's people. He stood against God. You don't mess with God's people. You don't mess with God. He was also oppressive towards the nations around him and oppressive to those who had need, the needy people. When you come to verse 20, it tells us that the people of Tyre and Sidon had come to speak to Herod. He was against, against them for whatever reason, and we don't know why. He didn't have, even have direct authority over those towns. But they came to him because for whatever reason, and however he did it, he was controlling the fact that they could or couldn't have food. He was controlling their food supply. So they were in a place where they, they must have been in a difficult place of poverty because they had to come and beg Herod to have their food. If they were doing all right, you wouldn't come and beg the king, would you? And it says they had to go through one of the king's servants to actually get the help they needed. But that is something that's close to God's heart, isn't it? And anyone that knows me, it's something I, I hold quite strongly. It's, it's this oppression of those in need of those who are hungry, of those who don't have, of the suffering and the hungry. That's what Herod was doing. We can see how God feels about it. In the book of Amos, this is like, Amos is like a, a manifesto for social action, social justice. It's, it's an amazing book. God's attacked the nations around Israel to say they've oppressed the poor, but then he turns on them, his own people, and he says, you levy a store tax on the poor, you impose a tax on their grain, therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you shall not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. But I know that many are your offences, and how great your sins there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Can you feel how angry God is? How passionate he is for the oppressed and the needy, the people that Herod stopping having their food. And he's saying that to his people. Herod is a man who is powerful, but his power is not impressive to God. He's not impressive to God. And he calls us to stand up for those people too, doesn't he? In so many ways. And we do loads of stuff here. Homeless drop-ins and cat money. And there's a food bank in Chester and Ellesmere Port. Stand up. Speak up. For those in need. Justice. I'm bringing it in politics. I mean, thanks to Elizabeth because I also... Um, I care about some of these issues and politics and fame for, for this sort of stuff and bringing that up because that's one of the reasons I care about it so much. I'm not going to get political, don't worry. I'm not going to start giving you one party. Um, but it is why I care about it. So much people say to me, don't be too political because you might offend people. But it's because it's one of the ways God works. So many Christians say, uh, politics, you know, it doesn't really matter. Jesus is what matters. But it's one of the ways he works to bring change in our world. Look at William Wilberforce. You know, William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade, 
with other people. And he actually debated in his early life whether he should become a minister, a pastor, whether he should go into politics. And he said, you can serve God. Someone said to him, you can serve God in that way. To bring an end to injustice. And that's what God calls us to do. He doesn't call us all to politics. That's what he calls us to do. And when you put that X in that box, do you ever think how that's going to affect people that come to the food bank? Or people that come to the drop-in? Or people that live on the street? And if you do, I don't quite often. Well, I do because that's how I think, but I didn't used to. We're all called to transform the world, whether it's politically or whether it's giving a pound or giving a cup of tea to a homeless person, you know? Standing up. Herod wasn't doing that. God wasn't pleased with him. But as bad as those things are, Herod did something even worse. Can you imagine there's something worse than oppressing his people, God's people? Or something worse than oppressing the poor and the needy? There's something God takes even more seriously. As Herod gives his speech people of Tyre and Sidon, probably because they want you know, the food that they haven't got, they say this is the voice of a God. This is the voice of a God to Herod. And what does Herod say? No, I'm not God. God's God. No, Herod says, well he doesn't say much, but it's what he doesn't say that's the problem. He doesn't say that. He accepts their praise. He accepts them, giving him a godhood, if you like, ascribing godhood to him. God does not share his glory with another. Somewhere in the Old Testament, and I don't know the chapter and verse. God does not share his glory with anybody. Certainly not with wicked kings and oppressors. Herod stands up accepts the glory for himself. And it's the final straw. Quite often in the Old Testament, it talks about the measure of nations' sins being filled up, like a jug. If you fill a jug up, up and up and up, and then it overflows. And when it gets to overflowing, when the sin gets to overflowing, God steps in. And there could be mercy for Herod. There could be mercy for all of us. And for all of our kings, there is mercy for us if we know Christ. And that could be for Herod. But instead of going to the one that could save him, he takes that glory for himself and God judges him. And so it says, there on the spot, he's eaten by worms. And a historian, a Jewish historian called Josephus tells more of the story. And he had stomach pains, probably something inside of him, worms inside of him, we don't know. Medical people might know, but, but he dies. He didn't actually die there on the spot, apparently, historically, but he died a few days later in immense pain because he had stood against God. But that's our God. Yes, merciful, kind, gracious to anyone who will call on him, anyone. All of us, if we're Christians, anyone in this room who isn't. But every king, or president, or prime minister, no matter how powerful, is subject to God. Is subject to his authority. 
and are only in place because of him. But they're not, their places are not without, what's the word for it? God can take them out whenever he wants out of their place if they oppose him and stand up for the things that oppose what he stands for. No, I'm not asking for that to happen in our nation like Elizabeth was saying, we pray for our leaders and we pray for God to have mercy on them. But it's good to be aware that whatever happens with that B word that's going on, I don't know if you've heard about it in our nation, uh, whichever way you think that should go and all of that, whether you like the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition and all the other people, but God is in charge. And even good kings, good queens, even our queen who's a Christian, even her kingdom will pass away. She loves Jesus, so that's a different thing for her, but even that kingdom, our kingdom, every kingdom, will pass away. And no king, no leader, no one in authority, nobody in parliament, will ever stand up to Jesus. They all come and go. They all come and go. And many more will come and go. But Jesus won't come and go. So I'll take you to Revelation. In Revelation 1.5, it calls Jesus the leader, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Revelation 1.5. Every king, and I use king widely here, obviously, because we don't all have kings these days. But every king, every leader, will be, is under, sorry, the kingship of Jesus. Wow. And in Revelation 4, I'm going to read the passage in full. We have this vision of the king, the king on his throne. This is the one who is the real king. Okay, this is the one that's the true king. This is the one whose kingly authority will never, ever pass away. Revelation 4. After this I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit. Sorry, I've lost my pace. Um, Once I was in the spirit, I was reading Revelation 3, that's why I couldn't find it. (laughs) And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center round the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like a, had the face like a man. 
and a fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all round, even under its wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God. Are worthy, our Lord and God, ready to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. That's the king. <laughs> That's the king that rules. That's the king Herod stood against. And that's the king that wouldn't share his glory with Herod. See, Jesus doesn't persecute his people. He cares for them. He looks after them. He saves them. He blesses them. He doesn't oppress the poor and the needy, but he goes to people. When he was on earth, he went to those kinds of people. And the religious leaders hated it. They hated it. And I was reading through Matthew recently, and I love the way Jesus reacts to them. Say, so we need to be like Jesus, and we talk about being nice and lovely and hippie. And, and, that we, and Jesus was nice as well, of course, but... When he talks to the religious leaders who push away those people, he doesn't mince his words. That's Jesus. And he has the glory. He doesn't need to take the glory for himself because it's his glory in the first place. <laughs> That's the king. That's the king who's our king. That's the kingdom we're part of. We are in his kingdom, we're part of his kingdom. And we bring his kingdom on the earth. And what we see through Revelation then is, is God judging nations. Judging authorities. Some, including myself, believe he's literally talking about the judgment of Israel in that day. It was future when John wrote it. Other people have a different view on that. But God is judging the nations. Taking out the nations that oppose him. And bringing his rule and reign. And that's what we're part of, aren't we? The book of Daniel talks about a rock that comes out of heaven and crashes all the nations and then it slowly fills the earth. Jesus' parables talk about trees that grow branches that fill the earth. It starts like a seed and it fills the earth. This is the king. That's the king that we follow and the king whose kingdom we're part of. And that's what we do as people of his kingdom. Spreading the rule and reign of Christ all across our world through the preaching of the gospel, through helping the needs of the poor. We bring across the kingdom of God. Bringing his kingdom in our lives and the lives of others. That's the king. You know, I don't really care what happens with Brexit in one sense because I know it doesn't, it does matter, it does matter in a way, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is bigger than that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it does matter, you know, in our nation now, but Jesus is bigger. And whatever happens, he rules, but it's the same in every life, the life of every person we meet, we bring them the king. And so at the very end of Revelation, the kingdom has come 
completely. And there's a new city, the new Jerusalem, which is the perfect bride. The dwelling place of God. The new Jerusalem is a, is a cube shape, it says in Revelation. I won't read the whole passage, but it, it comes out of heaven as a, as a cube-shaped city. Like the Holy of Holies in the temple, it's where God dwells. And he dwells perfectly on the earth at some point in future. And all of us who know Christ are already in that place. As in, by faith, we will be there eventually. But we dwell with him now. But it says, into that city will come the kings of the earth. It says they will bring their glory into the city. They will come and bow before Jesus. All the kings of the earth. Whatever that means. There's lots of interpretations, but the kings will give their crowns to Jesus. He rules. So we look to him, don't we? We look up at our king and work with him. Herod worked against him and he was judged. We work with him and it brings blessing to us, of course, to the nations. So let's See the king. Worship the king. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for all of us. As we finish. Thank you, Jesus. You are the king. You are the king. Thank you that every king, every politician, every leader, you are the king over all of them and over us. Show us where we can bring your kingdom on the earth in every way where we are. Politically, for those that care about that stuff, volunteering, just telling people about Jesus, just telling people about Jesus, the most important thing we can do. And bless each one of us, Lord, fill us with your spirit. It's by the power of your spirit that we go. We only go filled with your spirit. So fill us with your spirit, we pray today. Every one of us in this room, fill us again with your spirit help us to see the king in all his glory king of kings lord of lords we praise you thank you lord